This morning's sermon and the topic in Genesis chapter 5, I can guarantee you will affect 100% of us. Death awaits us all. There are no exceptions. But Scripture, praise God, provides for us relief. It doesn't say you won't die, but it provides relief through Christ. It doesn't provide relief through Adam or Seth or even Noah, but it does so in Christ. It's in Him and Him alone that for the believer, though we might die, we will live with Him. For He is the resurrection and the life. Praise God. So New Year's normally causes us to resolve to new goals, to new striving. I joke that my shaving was to to help me reverse some of the years that will quickly uh, be turning as the calendar turns, but it's really just to show how Christmas has done me in as far as the goodies go. It just reminds me, something's got to happen here. Maybe that's some of your goals, to be more healthy, to be more fit. Maybe you, like others here in the church, are resolved to know God's Word better. Maybe you've taken one of the Bibles that's there at the side and you said, I'm going to, as best I can, read day in and day out, uh, chronologically together with other church members. Praise the Lord. That's great. New Year's is helpful in those things. The excitement of what could be. And then we're met with texts like this one today. If there are texts of jubilation and joy and rejoicing and texts then that loom more heavy as if a dark cloud. Our text this morning would be the latter. Our main idea this morning is that through Adam, death is the regular rhythm for all men. Death is the regular rhythm for all men. Now, ladies, don't don't think, see, for all men, (laughs) all of mankind. Death is the regular rhythm. And even as we'll look at our text this morning, when other things happen, they are the exception, not the norm. With Enoch, he is the exception, not the norm. Elijah is the exception and not the norm. Lazarus is the exception and not the norm. Through Adam, death is the regular rhythm for all men. And what I hope you would see in this text is that you might, through Genesis 5, know that you ought to live today as if you will not live forever. Live today as if you will not live forever. Now, I want to tell you, I had to add in the word not five minutes ago. Because for the believer in Jesus Christ and for anyone, the reality is that when we die, we don't just go into nothing. We don't just evaporate. No, we are told throughout Scripture that for those who hope in Christ, who've turned from their sin and trusted in Him, He has prepared a place for us. That just like the thief on the cross, we would receive that recommendation from our Lord and Savior, you will be with me today in paradise. 
So in one sense, as believers, we will live forever. But our time on earth is temporal, and the regular rhythm for all men is death in Adam. We see this throughout this chapter of Genesis chapter 5. From Adam, the proclamation of finality of the human life is this, and he died. That's a sobering thought. What was true in the garden as God gives his commandment over Adam, that you can have anything. You can eat of any tree of the garden. You can do anything you so desire, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge uh, of good and evil. For in that day, Genesis 2 verse 17, you eat of it, you shall surely die. That proclamation has spread not only to Adam and Eve, it has spread to their offspring. It has spread to us. The proclamation that is true in the garden and in this passage is true of us. And he died. And she died. Adam, as our representative, is the one who is responsible for this. And know that all of us in this room will have our obituary read one day. More somber still is the fact that in just a few generations from our death, we'll be forgotten. Death seems to clutch the reins of all creation, urging and controlling every action. We as individuals and we as a society fear death. We do many things to seek to prevent it. I would hope in some ways that when we leave, when you leave this place today, you don't leave the doors and say, I wonder, I'm, I'm going to try and die today. Don't do that. But the reality is that that is where we are headed. We fear it. We seek to avoid it by striving to be more healthy, by seeking uh, to spend large amounts of money and to uh, put in a large investment to support new medications that might prolong our life. Yet the reality is that death is unavoidable. It's inescapable. Through Adam, our father, we have been given this inheritance. The rhythm of life is death. As the writer of Ecclesiastes states that there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to mourn and a time to dance. But thanks be to God that a change happens in this rhythm. A new cadence to the song of life has come in Christ foreshadowed in the life and relationship of Enoch. So while the rhythm of the reality of humanity is that we will die, the rhythm of Genesis 5, and he died, should be the continuous drumbeat that reminds us we are finite. But the writer of Ecclesiastes and the writer of Genesis chapter 5 reminds us that God has put eternity in our hearts. We are not just meant for this life on this earth. We are meant for something far greater. 
here is this new cadence, that while the rhythm of life is death, there is a new cadence. For in verses 21 through 24, we see this crazy story happen with Enoch. I love how the translation I read states it, just almost as going forward. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, comma, and he was not, comma, for God took him. You want to talk about the drumbeat of and he died, just continuing to come to the very screeching halt, and he wasn't. So simplistic, but what a radical transformation from the rhythm of and he died. But what do we see about Enoch? We see that he walked with the Lord. In verse 26 of our preceding chapter of Genesis, it says that after the birth of Seth, that at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What we then see in Enoch is that he is continuing to do that. He's continuing to to call upon the name of the Lord, to continue to worship Him by walking with the Lord. Listen to what one commentator says about this phrase, walked with God. Kent Hughes says, This phrase is only applied to Enoch and Noah and describes the closest personal communion with God, as if walking at the side of Him. Walking with God is far more intimate than walking ahead or walking behind. The minor prophets use this phrase, in fact, to describe the intimate walk of priests who entered the Holy of Holies to speak directly with God. The phrase also indicates the deepest obedience, for the metaphor of walking suggests walking along God's path in the same direction. Catch that? What Enoch was known for was the way in which he walked with the Lord in passion, in obedience, in walking in the same direction. Could it be said of you that you strive to walk with God in the very same direction, striving for holiness, striving to obey Him? If the answer is no, let me offer a friendly suggestion. Above any resolution that you would make this year, may it be that you would walk more closely in obedience and holiness with God through Christ than any other thing that you do. It needs to be our utmost priority. Above trying to work out and get fit, above trying to save more money, above trying to do anything else, walking with Christ should be our utmost priority. When I played high school football, right? High school guys uh, really don't care about much else than sports, maybe cars, but definitely girls. Well, for me, I just really cared about sports. And so when things came to an anticlimactic end to my playing career, though I would love to, to see something miraculous happen, it just it didn't. And in my, my playing high school football, our, our passage 
played for a Christian football team. Our passage was 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. Here's what it says, Paul writing to Timothy. For while bodily exercise profits little, your resolution to get fit, it profits a little. Paul continues, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life that's to come. Above any other resolution that we might set this year, may it be that we would walk with God like Enoch. Strive to walk with God this year. But hear me, this is not a message about, hey, Enoch's great, he walked with God, be like Enoch. For Enoch even knew there was something greater. It wasn't just that he walked with God. There was something about him and his trust in this God and whom he walked with that was different. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 picks up on it, right? We've already gone back to Hebrews chapter 12 to talk about Abel and his blood that uh, is inferior to the blood of Christ. But we see that Enoch offered, uh, or that Abel in his offering offered this this uh, fattened goat to God through faith. What do we see in the same chapter of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 about Enoch? By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. By faith. And he was not found. If there were any confusion about where Enoch was, he was not and he was not found. For God took him. It was by faith. Continuing on, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's something about Enoch that he trusted the God in whom he walked with. Do we trust God in these ways? Do we see his trustworthiness, his character in the way in which he has provided for us forgiveness of sin through his son Jesus. That is the only way that we can please God. That is the only way that grace, uh, that faith uh, by grace can be attained is through Christ. I would argue Enoch had his faith centered on the promise of Genesis 3.15 that someone was coming. It wasn't Seth. It wasn't uh, his forefather, Adam. It was someone who was to come. Someone whose line would not conclude with, and he died. Enoch had faith. His faith pleased God. Before we move on from Enoch into this last section of a glimmer of hope. I want to just draw out some things we saw last week. We saw that Cain's line was, there was much to be praised, right? We said the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good of building up of civilization, the bad and the ugly was that they did it devoid from God and it caused this calamitous spiral down to the point where Lamech ends up singing this, what's known as the sword song. I will kill someone who wrongs me. I will strike them with a sword if they touch me. I will do all of these things. If uh, Cain's curse be seven times, 
my curse be 77 times. Lamech has gone all the way off of his rocker. That's the end of that line. But notice at the beginning of chapter 5, we don't start with the genealogy of Cain. Cain's not even mentioned. When it talks about the genealogy of Adam, it goes straight to Seth. No forementioned of Cain, no forementioned of anybody else. It goes straight to Seth. One author would say that this distinction is really showing that the inheritance that waits for those who follow in the way of Cain, who follow in the way of the world, who follow in the way of the serpent and seek to deceive, seek to be murderous, have no inheritance for all of eternity. There is nothing in their genealogy that talks about their years on the Canaanite line. There is nothing that talks about uh, other descendants. But what do we see with Seth? We see that there are years. We see that there are signs of continued faithfulness in walking with God. That is not so in the Canaanite line. That where Lamech is the seventh of the generations from Adam, on the Sethite side, it's Enoch. Think about the amazing contrast. Lamech, who is just a vile human being, and Enoch, who walked in obedience, pleasing God through faith. So it's true, by faith in the triune God that a new cadence enters the pages of Genesis. And it will be by faith that hope is secured. As we turn to this final section, there's hope placed on one man, Noah, to relieve the consequences of the curse. And while the last section that we just looked at points to hope, it is unfortunately just a glimmer that points us to final fulfillment, a glimmer of hope. Here we have another Lamech, not to be confused with the bad one. This is the good one. He would be on the good side, okay? Uh, However you need to see a good team versus bad team, red versus blue, however you need to do that, this Lamech is a good one. A descendant of Seth, a descendant of Enoch. This Lamech is the father of Noah. And he provides this amazing proclamation about his son, right? We've seen different things about sons all throughout Genesis. In Genesis 3.15, we see the promise of the woman uh, to have uh, her seed be the one who would crush the serpent's head. That it would be by the seed of the woman that the, the serpent would have enmity all the days of his life. And so here... There's this man, the seed of the woman, descended from Adam, who comes onto the scene and Lamech proclaims out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. There is hope that Noah would be the prophetic son who would end the war that is waged between the serpent and mankind. And I want you to come back next week, but there's a spoiler. Noah doesn't do that. Noah does not do that. The glimmer of hope that was in his father's eye, that he would be the one to relieve the pressure of the curse, it is short-lived. It is but a glimmer of hope.
This proclamation of Lamech over Noah is profound. There's hope that he would be the one whom God prophesied would crush the serpent. That the constant rhythm of, and he died, would be set right through Noah. But sadly, that isn't what we'll see. Death continues. Struggling under the curse continues, pointing us forward that we need a better representative. We need a better representative than Adam, for in Adam all die. We need a better representative than even Seth, for even Seth died. We need a better representative than Noah, for he is just a glimmer of hope. We need a better representative. As BJ read earlier, there is a better representative. That through Adam, all men die, but through Christ, all men might live. That through Adam, his sin was given, was imputed to those who follow in his image. But in Christ, he imputes, he gives, he bestows his righteousness on those who would believe. So what do we do? Call to Christ. Beloved, you will die. I will die. Unless we are raptured before then, we will be the norm, not the exception. We will take our final breath, and for those who die in Adam, we will be separated from God, as was Cain. Yet remarkably, by grace, those who die in Christ will be united with him in death, just as they were in life. And we'll experience life everlasting with him in heaven. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, trust in him. The end of all mankind is death, and you either die in Adam or you die in Christ. If you die in Adam, it is eternal separation from the God who made you and sent his Son for your sin. But if you die in Christ, you will be united with him for all of eternity. Thousands upon thousands upon Millions, we can't even fathom. We will get to enjoy the reality of what this new creation will look like. There will be no more tears. There will be no more mourning. There will be no need for a son because Jesus is the light that is needed. Brothers and sisters, it's not just about going to heaven. It's about who's there. It's about the Savior who bought you with his blood. Put your trust in Christ. For in Christ, when you die, you will live. So if you're an unbeliever, you've heard the call to trust in Christ, to turn from your sin, to make Him the one who created you, to make Him your Lord and your Savior. Now, if you're a believer this morning, here are three quick applications. So how do we live today as if we will not live forever? First, come to terms with the rhythm of life. 
while working as if eternity awaits. Come to terms with the rhythm of life while working as if eternity awaits. I drive past a cemetery every day to get to work. And there are headstones that are molded that no one could tell whose name is even on it, much less that anybody would go and visit. I have a finite amount of time, as do you. We don't know when that time's up. So we must come to terms with the rhythm of life while working as if eternity awaits. What does that look like? There's one book I read in high school called What You Can't Do in Heaven. What can't you do in heaven is share the gospel with other people because there will be no need. The only people in heaven, the only inhabitants in heaven are those who have professed faith in Christ. So we have finite time, and evangelizing is the only thing we can't do in heaven, so let's get to it now. If we're all going to die, the reality is that when we look at somebody out on the street or even in this church, they're going to die too. Let's use the best of our time. One uh, 19th and early 20th century English missionary said this in, in a famous poem, Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Brothers and sisters, the rhythm of life is death. That one day, perhaps soon, our epitaph will read, And he died. And she died. Come to terms with that rhythm while working as if eternity awaits. Because it does. In Christ, it does. Secondly, live today, tomorrow, and forever with Jesus. It was said of Enoch that he walked intimately, obediently with God. And it pleased God. So live today, tomorrow, and forever with Jesus. I'll tell you, my word for this year is joy. I just haven't been feeling super joyful. And I don't know how long. There are things that make me happy. There are are things that make me so happy. But joy, the things that I sometimes preach to you about doing, I've found that I'm not doing that. So I'm deciding, I'm I'm praying that this joy that comes from knowing and walking in this obedience like Enoch, I'm praying that it will be true of me as well. So my encouragement to you is live today, tomorrow, and forever with Jesus. It starts with that regular reading with him. Asking him, how can I be more like you? Thanking him, adoring him for what he's done on your behalf by laying his life down, by shedding his blood for you. (laughs) That's an easy way to start. Thank you, Jesus, that in Adam all might die, but in you, the resurrection and the life, I'll live because I've placed my trust in you. Live today, tomorrow, and forever with Jesus. And thirdly, and finally, find your rest and relief from the curse in Christ Jesus. Find your rest and relief from the curse in Christ Jesus. There are a lot of things that we could try and do and strive to maybe set back the and he died. Nope, that's not going to be true of me. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, I'm going to strive, I'm going to do all of these things. And we toil and we strain for things that the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, vanity, <laughs> vanity. But if we find our rest and relief in the work of Jesus Christ, the only true relief from the curse of sin and the only true deliverer for us is in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took our curse and he nailed it to the cross. Don't find your rest and relief from Noah. Don't find your rest and relief from your own work. Find your rest and relief from Christ. For in Christ, you will truly find relief. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that it's in Christ, your Son, that we can find relief, that we can find hope that we can have salvation in the work that he has done that he has secured it's not up in the air it is finished as he says father may those who might not know you call out to you in faith this morning and father for those who walk with you father may we be holy may we be obedient may we be in some senses like enoch those who please you by our faith in knowing that our salvation is not of ourselves. It is wholly due to Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.